Zondo Commission Unpacked, a Corruption Watch podcast. My name is Mwepeng Valencia Talani. This podcast is brought to you by Corruption Watch and produced by Volume. Now, today's topic is quite an emotive one and one that I, as a member of the Corruption Watch team, relate to very well. Whistleblower protection and support. Throughout the course of the public hearings of the State Capture Commission, we heard evidence under oath from people whose careers, livelihoods, um, safety and general sense of belonging were affected by the decision to blow the whistle on corruption that they saw happening around them. I, for one, often ask whistleblowers who approach Corruption Watch for help with their reports, what is it that motivates them? What is it that gets them to blow the whistle? And more often than not, the response is that they want to do the right thing. It's not that they want monetary gain or that they want to punish someone, but the simple inclination to speak out on wrongdoing when they see it, because if they don't, then it's likely to continue. And its continuation is to the detriment of many others who will be affected. So having said that, our guest on this episode is one such individual. Cynthia Stimple blew the whistle on transgressions that were happening at the South African Airways. This was during the term of the board led by Dudumieni, who refused to answer, if you remember, refused to answer questions related to her time as board chairperson when asked such questions before the Zondo Commission. She cited fear of incrimination as possible potential criminal charges being brought against her. Chief Justice Zondo has made recommendations in his state capture report that call for reforms in whistleblower protection in South Africa. Global standard that's available in this area is the UN Convention Against Corruption, Section 32 of that, to which Zondo referred in his recommendations as a guide for government as far as how it addresses his recommendations. In response to that recommendation, President Cyril Ramaphosa said, Whistleblowers were to receive protection afforded by the section of the UN Convention Against Corruption. He also cited the possible award of a proportion of funds recovered to whistleblowers, funds recovered from proceeds of corruption, of course, that will have been recovered by government. And he also spoke about immunity for whistleblowers from criminal or civil action arising from honest disclosures. Cynthia, welcome to the Zondo Commission Unpacked. Thank you very much, Mwepeng. Let me start off by asking this. Do you think that the commission, the Zondo Commission, was spot on in terms of its recommendations on, on whistleblower protection? Yes, I think the Zondo Commission did try to cover all aspects regarding whistleblowers' current plights that they suffer. So the one is definitely that um, they should be protected under the UN Convention because if you look at our legislation, which is firstly the Protected Disclosures Act, which is also linked to the Brecker Act, which is linked to our Constitution and Companies Act. So there are many, um, there's over 10 different legislation that can be referred to in assisting and guiding whistleblowers, but that has not been enforced in our country. So... Um, what DCJ Zando does uh, bring in the recommendations is that we need to start following those acts and enforcing them, especially 
relating it to the UN Convention, talking about the compensation and paying a proportion. So the US have a legislation where they pay a percentage of monies recovered, but in some cases there are people, and it came out strongly in the uh, state capture report, for instance, like Dr. Masimba Dawa, he stood up against the board wanting to change existing contracts and give it over to others who did not go through the RFP process at all and didn't and weren't awarded the tender. And so he lost his job and the subsequent knock-on effect for him was losing his home and even uh, having the degree of a doctor in procurement, he's still unable to find any meaningful work today. And so in that method, I think it's not spelled out clearly in the findings, but there needs to be compensation for everyone. If you're unable to get monies returned, like for the case of SAA, there won't be monies returned from there, but people who had uh, played a huge role in standing up against the fraud, corruption, and speaking up for the truth, they should be compensated. So that, for me, is really strong. And I was quite happy with his, the outcome and the, the recommendations that Judge Sondo had stipulated in the findings. We have got a case precedent now that after the SARS rogue unit and the recent rulings, it stated there that the people that suffered under the losses of SARS, there was a public apology for them and each one got a personal letter to the effect and all of them have been compensated or currently being compensated. So I think a precedent has been set for other whistleblowers and people who stood up for the truth. And I think we just need to start making sure that those are enforced. Now, in practical terms, that compensation for whistleblowers, how should it work? Let's say, for instance, in, in the context of the state capture report and evidence that has been gathered by that commission and the return of some monies by certain companies. So should we look at... This money went back to ESCOM, therefore whistleblowers in the context of the state capture process, whistleblowers who are related to SAA or Tribestead or Denel, for instance, shouldn't get a portion of that? Or how do you think it should work? I do fully follow it. Um, and if one only went with one type of client paying it back in a one type of organization, other people then uh, may never be recognized or compensated. So uh, I follow what you're saying there. Now, uh, my recommendation would be setting up a whistleblower compensation fund and so money recouped because of corruption and fraud and the state capture. And remember, there are also private organizations that have been involved. And if the money goes into this type of fund, it can then be metered out to whistleblowers. What I do understand is that as a country, we do have a fund already called the Criminal Asset Recovery Account, which is called the CARA account. I am not sure how that is managed or how that those funds are being utilized, but I do know there is the fund. It's been confirmed by Advocate Willi Hofmeyer when he spoke many times on air and, and that there is that fund there. So I think um, 
probably the judges of the Zonda Commission and perhaps some key people who can make decisions around that can either say we use the existing criminal asset recovery account, which has to go back, obviously, either into the country or back to certain corporations. The funds that came back for Eskom and Denel, we're not sure. We, we read about that the funds were recouped, but knowing that it went directly back to an Eskom or to a Denel or a SAA, we don't know. If we can establish that, it makes it easier then. If it's gone back into the organization, then the organization has to best see how they then manage those funds coming back, obviously, and then responsibility would be of an ESCOM then to compensate its whistleblowers. What SARS has done has obviously created a reserve fund, and from that reserve fund, they are now paying compensation to not only the SARS whistleblowers, but all the SARS staff who suffered through what had happened with all the issues surrounding SARS at the time. So one needs to look at those on a far broader level, because not many whistleblowers should be called whistleblowers on the one hand, and not many are whistleblowers because they internally responded to their bosses and said, I'm not doing this because I'm not signing it. It's against our corporate governance or it's against our policies and procedures or it's against the PFMA. And so they haven't whistleblown as such. They're only backing down and saying, I'm not doing this. And so then they lose their jobs. Whereas the people that whistle blew outside of the organization, so I physically blew to outer, that makes me the whistleblower. Can you see what I'm saying? Yet inside, I did try all avenues inside. And when I exhausted those avenues is when I went outside. So one needs to look at everyone who stood up for any type of wrongdoing, if I may put it that simple, wrongdoing that that person can see in their field of work, they should be compensated. And so for me, I feel the fund needs to be so much broader because right now I'm working with whistleblowers who have blown the whistle on a, a school governing board and they subsequently lost their job and now they cannot pay for their home and now they've been evicted. So it's this long-term knock-on effect for a person just standing up because they saw that the money coming in uh, from school children is being stolen by someone. And when they reported, they instead lost their job. So it's that type of thing. We've got to look at it broadly and say, how do we compensate everyone who took the courage and the bravery to stand up against wrongdoing? The tricky bit, I would imagine, would come around when you look at those who instead of, for instance, following the PDA, the Protected Disclosures Act format, but would rather uh, perhaps speak to the media, for instance, and say, this is happening within this state-owned entity that I work for. And because I don't trust the PDA, I don't trust that I'll be uh, protected in that scenario. I'm, I'm speaking to the media because this issue being out in the public domain is going to be more effective in terms of changing what's going on in my company or, or government agency or institution. What consideration should we make for, for those people, if anything? Yeah, now the media has a, has a very important role to play. If one looks at the, the ETOL case, for instance, 
it was someone whose name has not been divulged. We still don't know who he is. And um, he managed to raise key concerns around it that we as ordinary citizens would not have known, right? And that first went to the media. So I feel the media has a huge role to play. Um, I do agree that whistleblowers or potential whistleblowers feel unsafe because of the victimization they've seen of other whistleblowers, that they do lose their jobs, and more than that, they could lose their lives, like a Babita Diokaran. So if we take her case, she wasn't a true whistleblower in the sense of going anywhere. She didn't go to the media to talk about it, and neither did she go outside the health department. She reported it within her department and to her boss, and it was then that her boss said, well, let's take it to the SIU and let them do the investigations. When the SIU did the investigation, they obviously needed all her evidence and to say, why are you doing this? Um, what can you prove? And she could show all her records. And through that process, she was killed. And that's why the name I feel for whistleblowers is stunting what a true person who's just doing their job to the best of their ability and trying to raise concerns that things are not right here. And I need to, if I value my job and I value uh, my own integrity, I will speak up. So there, the media for her, had she gone to the media, her name could have been kept out of the media space. I mean, yeah, her name would have been kept out, but the story would have um, then been all over the media. And in some way, it would have been raised uh, then. The first time we knew about it was after she died, and then investigations were done. So I feel media must play a role. Um, they should be able to talk to whistleblowers, and whistleblowers should be able to talk to them. I do understand the confidentiality issue, which one signs when you're working that you should not divulge any uh, confidential information and you should not talk to the media. That's one of the reasons I didn't go to the media because I had signed that agreement with SAA. However, there needs to be a fine line that says that if it's for the public interest or if it's something that's going to be detrimental to people's health or their well-being or the country's well-being. For instance, if I see a huge truck now dropping um, toxic waste, and it says toxic waste on the side, and it dumps it into a river near me, I as a citizen, a good citizen, needs to be able to report it. Can you see what I'm saying? And if I'm a staff member of that organization, and I happen to live, let's say, um, Benoni, and I, and I have this beautiful lake. I actually live here in Florida, and there is a beautiful lake here. And I see this truck, which I work for, dropping stuff there, and I know what's in it. I should, as a staff member, speak out, you see. So, And if I went to the media, I would be immediately fired because my agreement says I shouldn't speak out. And I shouldn't report it to anyone else. But it's of public interest. It's going to affect anyone downstream who come and swim or play in the lake or fish in the lake. It's going to affect, you know, various people. So how does one then deal with that? So I think some of our legislation has to change. The Protected Disclosures Act needs to change because nowhere has it consequences for the company who did the wrongdoing. 
right? It's all about the employer. And then in our own agreements, we sign in about keeping confidentiality. Those clauses need to change. And it must be said that if it's in the interest, public interest or safety of anyone, then you should, in pure honesty and showing integrity, that the, this must be mentioned. So I agree that um, we need to work closely with media and that um, the media also plays a role that they cannot be derogatory in the way they advertise or write about either the whistleblower or the person who's reporting it and then at their best to try and keep that person's name anonymous because I think that would save many a damage to whistleblowers. True, but should those whistleblowers who go to the media enjoy the same protection as somebody who, who does it through the PDA, for instance? Like in my experience, having engaged whistleblowers over the years, the justification for not going through the PDA and coming, for instance, to Corruption Watch or to the media is usually that, look, uh, I know there's wrongdoing. I can see that and my conscience won't let me look the other way but I find it easier and more safer, as you correctly pointed out just now, to go to the media because I have some assurance that they will do something about it. But should I be found out to have been the one to have blown the whistle on this topic and be victimized in any case as what would have happened if I had done it internally? Should I claim protection, the need for protection, knowing very well that I didn't go through the, the legislation that should be allowing for such. The legislation needs to change. It's just period. We cannot say that all the whistleblowers to date that have followed the PDA have not been protected. So we need to bring the media into the PDA. We need to bring more places of speaking out into the PDA. So at the moment, we've got the public protector, We've got the Auditor General, and we've got going through your internal whistleblowers. Um, now Corruption Watch and Outer has been added to it, right? But I did go to the Public Protector. They did not come back to me. Can you see what I'm saying? So there needs to be, and most times, if the media have a strong investigative focus, like a Daily Maverick or Omar Bungani, those would be the people one should go to because then you can keep your name quiet like they did with the VBS and they could investigate at length and then, you know, the story could be exposed. And I, I, I see where you're going to, but the PDA is not holistically protecting anyone at this stage. Yes, it's a good piece of legislation that was written in a hurry. In a recent webinar, South Africa was actually the third country to do the Protected Disclosures Act. So the first was the US, the second was the UK, they did the PEDA, and the third one was South Africa. And I was in a discussion with Richard Calland, and he said he was part of the early drafters of the Protected Disclosures Act. So they used, and he said, we used the PEDA as our source, which was the UK Act. They then drafted it for South Africa, but it was never tested. And then in 2017, it was amended because the Act stated that only for the employee, 
But if you, an outside person, or you did, you were employed like Bianca Goodson, she resigned from the organization, then she reported it, and they said, oh, she's not, it's not a protected disclosure uh, uh, because she did it as an ex-employee. And so the act was subsequently changed to include all parties and now anyone who observes a wrongdoing. But nothing else as much has changed because they didn't bring in consequence management for the perpetrator. They didn't bring in different methodology. Is, is it safe to only blow internally? Or can you also blow externally? You know, and must you only go through your internal um, policy that's been set up versus when it is being managed? If you look at the SAA process, SAA had an internal whistleblowing policy. Myself, together with um, Sylvain Basque, who blew the whistle through the internal policy, went straight to the head of internal audit, who was instructed that if anything comes there, must go straight to the board. Now, if the board are compromised, then you, you're already um, going to be suspended, which happened. Whereas if you had an independent board who sat there with different, saying every case must be investigated before we do anything, and here you are killing the messenger or shooting the messenger rather than taking what they're saying and investigating it. That's what should happen. So the law that we'd like to see as whistleblowers is that you do not shoot the messenger, that every case that comes forward must be fully investigated at the organization's costs. And only when you find this truth in it, then you can do something about it. But the whistleblower should be protected 100%. That's how the law was designed, but no one is interpreting it that way. And only if it was a malicious reporting, then there must be consequence management for that person who's, because they were being malicious. But you won't know that until you've investigated. What's happening right now, the whistleblower is being attacked, pushed aside, and told that you didn't whistleblow, and therefore you need to keep quiet, and you need to go out of the organization, you need to be fired, you need to be victimized, and the reason why the victimization happened is to discredit that whistleblower. And so the whistleblower is totally discredited, and everybody looks at that whistleblower and doesn't look at the story the whistleblower is telling. And that's what the act should strongly say, that all the merits, all the evidence, whatever, must be investigated first. It's about the issue that came to the table. It's not about the person who brought the issue to the table. And that way, you will never need to be awarding or rewarding whistleblowers. Can you see where I'm going? Because once the investigation is done, it's like a court case. You see the merits of the truth, and then a decision is made on was this truthful? Is this factual? And did this follow the law? And then the decision is made. But it's not being done that way. And hence, we are sitting with the problems that we are sitting with now. Like I said at the beginning, emotive uh, topic. And, and, and one way you can't separate the, the consequences for the people who blow the whistle from the you know the act for for instance uh, the, the the reality in South Africa is that a lot of people who have done that have 
um, suffered very, very bad consequences. Now, if we were to look at, on a practical level, law enforcement agencies, what role do they have to play in, in, in this environment? And what can practically and realistically be done to protect our whistleblowers so that we don't have cases like that of Babita and we don't have cases of, of people not only being um, losing their jobs, but being followed around, intimidated, and their families being, being intimidated. There are several cases like that that I have worked on where a, a whistleblower will say, look, um, I'm hoping that my own you know, labor case will be resolved, but I worry about my children because my sense is that they're being followed, they're being stalked, or whatever the case may be. Where does law enforcement come in, and what, is, what should be our realistic uh, approach to that area? My personal view right now, Mui Peng, is that we don't have a law enforcement group or agency. Um, they're designed to protect citizens, but they haven't protected citizens. We've seen that during COVID with the lockdown. Instead, citizens were punished. They weren't protected. We've seen whistleblowers who have gone to two SAPs to report a case, and then the case disappears because now they don't have a signed affidavit. We've seen that um, SAPs has not played a role when you call them to please come and monitor my home. They don't come. They should be the first one saying that person that lives in that home was actually a whistleblower. We should be watching that area all the time because anything can happen, especially now that those under commission findings have been released. But it hasn't happened. And it's not for me to go and beg. It's for them to be aware of what's happening in our country. So no, I don't think that they are doing what they're supposed to be doing as protectors of citizens. And I think they have misunderstood their role completely and utterly. And there's currently a SAPS whistleblower, Patricia Mashale, and I mention her name because she's very vocal and very verbal. Her life is under threat. She is not living in her home. She is moving from one place to the other. Where is SAPS? Please tell me. Where are they? There is no one there. She has had three attempts on her life already. When they say law enforcement, there's two parts. There's the law enforcement, which takes us into the, the legal court. And then there's the SAPS, which is the South African Protection Services. That's the name, protection. But they're not protecting. And if they are committing fraud and corruption within their own ranks, Imagine how difficult it is for the staff who are doing an honest job inside them, like Patricia Mashali. And imagine for ordinary citizens like you and me, who can we rely on? We can't rely on them. So you're asking me what recommendations I have right now. I think they need to revisit what their purpose, their role, their mandate, and their vision is. And then they need to work at it and achieve it. Because right now, I don't think they have a, a mandate um, to serving people. They have a different mandate that's probably coming from more senior levels. And that, for me, is totally wrong. Other enforcers like the SIU, NPA, and um, the Hawks, 
to date, we haven't seen them working effectively. There was a stage when we saw the old scorpions bringing people to book, doing investigative work, um, and that's not happening now. Many people are asking, why is NPA not doing anything? Why is the Hawks not doing anything? So for me, yeah, I just feel that our other law enforcement agencies needs to be also again revisited. When we start enforcing the law properly in every aspect, then we can start seeing the changes. And so, yeah, so for me, I'm, they have a role to play and they need to start playing their role. They can't be discerning, oh, this case we're not taking because X, Y, and Z, but that case we're going to take because it's who, who told me to take it. So we are not being fair in our own legal system and I think that needs to change. I think the issues that you highlight speak a lot to a higher level of commitment, uh, political will to make sure that people who blow the whistle on corruption have, you know, certain commitments that they, they from government that they enjoy. There's a certain level of attention to that area. It's not a tick box exercise, particularly not at the level of the executive. For instance, in, 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 in Cyril Ramaphosa's response to the Zondo Commission, when he says this will happen with the Suplos, that will happen, um, we're looking at the PDA to amend the PDA and the Witness Protection Act, and the minister charged with that task uh, will, will deliver on that task within the next few months or whatever. Has he engaged the issues that you and I are talking about? Has he understood, has, has he thoroughly researched and understood how much of a commitment is needed at his level as a member of the executive to make sure that when the minister oversees that process of the amendment of the act, it's with the understanding that whistleblowers do not, simply do not feel protected. And it's not a tick box exercise on the part of government, but one where a lot of commitment is required. That commitment then trickles down to the ground to where a member of SEPs is able to execute you know, that mandate or, or follow on that commitment and say, this person blowing the whistle on corruption that is happening at Transnet or SAA or ESCOM needs more than just for me to fill in, you know, to, to write down their statement, but they also need protection for whatever length of time that they, they feel unsafe. Do you not think political will is a huge, huge factor in all of this? And if so, do you think we have, the current administration is, is alive to the needs of the supports? I totally agree with you, there is no political will. If you're talking of the current cabinet that we have and our current um, NEC, etc., at the moment there isn't political will. There, there's probably a few in there. Um, I just don't know them individually, and we, we're not privy to all the discussions. So like in every committee or organization, there, there are those that want to do the right thing, and there are those that are against it. So... Yes. Um, what's come out strongly for me is that President Cyril Ramaphosa was twice at the Zonda Commission and twice he stated that whistleblowers must be protected. 
And then at the State of the Nation address, he also stated that whistleblowers must be protected and that legislation will be changed. Then when the first findings were submitted, he made the same statement. When the final findings were submitted, he made the same statement. For me, is I haven't seen action. I haven't seen the Justice Department contacting any one of us. In fact, we, have a, we formed a group and we started working on the legislation because we felt that we need to do work now. We can't wait. And by the time we handed over to the Justice Department, we have made their load easier. And we've been calling for meetings. They've never held a meeting with us. Maybe, while well, we are civil society, when I say we, it's the broader group. It's not only myself. The broader group of civil society, like Outer Corruption Watch, is part of enforcing changes in the legislation, together with other civil societies like ACM and uh, Ahmad Kathrada and Helen Sussman. So various have contributed to changes that we need to make in the legislation, and yet there hasn't been a reciprocation from the Department of Justice to say to us, we're so happy we want to change this because we believe in justice, because we believe in doing the right thing. And yes, uh, we will take your comments, we, or we'll set up a symposium or a debate session and then break it down and then enforce the legislation. So for me right now is I think we need to start from scratch. I know many are saying we should rather just fix the PDA. And I got a feeling that's what the Department of Justice would do. But I think we need to take it and literally tear it apart and come up with proper legislation so that in the future, our children who want to stand up for justice are not going to suffer. That we do state that we want to have the best, like our constitution. We've got the best constitution. Everybody's commended on it. But are we enforcing it now? Are we all hiding behind certain things and not using what the, the, the Constitution is stating we should be using. And that's what should happen with the Protected Disclosures Act and link it directly to the Constitution because the Constitution says we all have the right to freedom of expression. We all have the right to speak up. We all have the right to speak out when we see wrongdoing. And that's all a whistleblower has done. And now we are being put in a box instead of just saying the Constitution has given me a right to say that this is not correct and I need that freedom of expression to state it. So I think a lot more work needs to be done. I think there is no political will, but should we wait for it is the question I'm asking. I don't want to wait for political will. I would like to, as a citizen, be proactive and say, yeah, we've changed it and we are protecting everyone, including yourself. Um, who has a role to play in Parliament, and how do we how do we stop it if we as citizens say, okay, guys, we all need to hold one another accountable. So, Cyril, you need to be held accountable. We hold our president accountable, and whoever comes in, if they've been tainted by any corruption, we have to hold them accountable now too, so therefore they cannot take that position. So the only one who can take that position is someone who has not been tainted. If we can start doing that, I think the wheels of justice will turn uh, a bit faster 
And everyone will start sitting up and saying, yes, of course, that's what we should be doing, instead of sitting back and allowing decisions only to be taken in the parliamentary process when we know they're not being enforced from a, an ethical, moral, and an accountability perspective. Yes, yes. If I may get uh, uh, personal now, I hear you saying that we shouldn't wait for political will to be in place, but would you encourage somebody right now in the current climate that we find ourselves in, would you encourage anyone to blow the whistle on corruption if they were to witness it? I will still encourage them. I will encourage them because I will say to them, what values do you want to teach your children and your grandchildren? And would you always want to be perceived from your own perspective that I am doing the right thing? And so you want that good reputation with your community, your church, your family, and you want it more specifically for you, with your children and your grandchildren. So yes, I would encourage it because if we don't, we already saw what's happening with South Africa. We will be on a trajectory of non-recovery. And everyone is far more, if you look at the conversations now, the conversation people were afraid of the name whistleblower, right? It was said in hushed tones. People didn't want to discuss issues openly. And now there are webinars, there are symposiums, there are workshops on whistleblowing. Many people need to are wanting to understand it and the repercussions. And they can see the impact that has happened. Judge Zondo himself writes there that if it was not for whistleblowers, they would not have got all the evidence they did and could prove it um, in this commission. And this commission that we had is unique compared to other commissions. There is so much evidence. Prof. Masala, who was, uh, was the secretary um, of the Zondo Commission, stated that there is still so much information that what has been given out in the 5,000 pages is only a tip of the iceberg. So I would like to say that you need to hold me accountable and I need to hold you accountable. When we start doing that, you'll start seeing less fraud happening and less bad decisions happening because they know if I make this decision, I'll be held accountable. Our country is worse off than it was 30 years ago. And how do you account for that then? And now your, your grandchild or my grandchild or in your child will come into a society that has become so nonchalant about crime, nonchalant about corruption, what are we teaching them? And so for me, this has to stop, and it starts with you and I. We're the only ones that can create that now and say there isn't political will, and so we as citizens need to enforce our constitution and our constitutional right now to stop it. Not by protesting, not by breaking things and damaging things, but by standing up where we are in our churches, in our communities, and just yeah, gathering everyone together and saying, you know what, 
we don't want this anymore. This is not right for us as South Africans. It's not right for our country. It's not right for the future of our country. That sounds like a great point to, to leave the discussion on. Thank you very much, Cynthia, for joining us. And thank you very much for sharing all those insights. We're all the wiser for having listened to somebody who experienced the repercussions of blowing the whistle firsthand. I hope, I really hope that your message reaches a lot of people out there who may be thinking of or are in the process of blowing the whistle on corruption that they witness and are encouraged to do the right thing. On that note, we end today's episode of Zondo Commission Unpacked. I've been your host, Mwepeng Vanesha Talani. It's a Corruption Watch podcast produced by Volume. Thank you very much for listening. Volume.